In my dating life, I had the opportunity to date a couple different people who were artists. When I was younger, I was dating an artist who was from a family of artists, her mom, her dad. They had their own medium of art that they liked to pursue. The, the siblings were into the arts. And, and one night I was invited to their home for dinner. We sat around the dining room table eating together and this family in particular was a bit introverted quiet. They didn't say much, which to a person with my temperament is agonizing. Oh, to fill the silences. So I began asking questions, trying to find out if I could loosen something up that we might have a conversation about. And I kept running out of questions and running out of content and you don't get far when the answers to questions are yes and no. And so I said, oh, I know. Um, how about that Bob Ross guy? Do you like Bob Ross? You know who I'm referring to, don't you, church? Bob Ross was that uh, PBS painter. He had an afro. He often wore uh, button-down shirts with his sleeves rolled up. And if I'm going to pass judgment on Mr. Ross, Sometimes he unbuttoned his shirt just a little too much for my taste. The background was black, rather simple, and he painted nature landscapes. He would say things like, let's paint a happy little tree. And then he'd want to make another tree, so he'd say, this, friend needs, this tree needs a friend. Signature to Bob Ross's affect was that voice. That voice was soft and gentle and soothing. So I said, how do you feel about Bob Ross? And I could see their faces contort. They look like some sort of modern art sculpture. They said Bob Ross wasn't a true artist. He had no artistic genius like Chagall. Indeed, we have many wonderful original lithographs of Chagall out here in the gathering space, and I agree with them. Bob Ross is not an original artist like Chagall or Picasso or any other ones you can pull out of a, a list of artists in books. They said that his is a formulaic method meant to be mass-produced, and that's true too. But I held in my heart the truth that there was something about Bob Ross that I loved. Later on in life, I was dating another girl in the art department at a local university, and every evening I would drive to the art department, bring her dinner, because I'm a dutiful boyfriend, and she would be in the photo lab, or she would be throwing on the wheel, which is to make clay pottery, or she'd be in the glass house blowing glass, which is always a cool place to be in the Illinois February weather. It was very warm in there, and I would sit and read my books of theology while she did her art. And I started noticing her and other people in her department wearing these t-shirts with Bob Ross's likeness on them, the afro in full, saying, happy little tree or happy little cloud. And I said, oh, you guys don't like Bob Ross. He's too formulaic. He, he doesn't do real art, right? You know? And they all just kind of smiled at me. Oh, he's kind of refreshing. 
I'm sure it was that generation's love of irony that made them love Bob Ross. It certainly had to be somewhat ironic since all those t-shirts were purchased at Target. I don't know. I just know that Bob Ross continues to grow in the appreciation of the wider populace. Maybe it's nostalgia for PBS programming like Mr. Rogers and Julia Child and the like, or, or, or maybe it's because there's something more. When I was a kid, in the summertime, I would dart in the house, I'd look for my baseball glove, my bat, maybe a football, a basketball, maybe a pair of camouflage pants and binoculars, rope. You always needed a rope in the 80s. If you were a kid in the 80s and you didn't have a rope, don't go in the woods. Take my grandfather's pocket knife, because I was going to go out looking for Bigfoot. Everyone knows that Bigfoot lives in the woods in the plains of Illinois. It's true, I saw him there once. He was painting a happy little tree. But if I ran in the house looking for any of these wonders and delights of my childhood, and it just so happened that Bob Ross was on the television, which he happened to be quite a lot, I would stop dead in my tracks and just, I was mystified listening to him. It was my version of ASMR. You know ASMR, it's, the, it's all with the kids these days on the YouTubes. They like to watch videos of people take their finger along a brush or crinkle something or whisper. I find it all rather strange, but it's supposed to be soothing to your nervous system and calming, and Bob Ross was that for me. I don't know, the more I go on, the more I find something to appreciate about Bob Ross. And I think if we put a finer point on it, I appreciate the fact that he encouraged people to be creative. Every day's a good day when you paint. Go ahead, go get your paints out. Get your canvas out. There are no mistakes here, just happy accidents. Every day's a good day when you paint. Come on, let's go do it. Every day's a good day when you paint. His was not the aim to make some piece of fine art that would be in a museum hanging in London. His was to get people to be creative. And I appreciate that because being creative is terrifying. All too often, we like to fall into ruts and establish patterns and precedents. We like to ask, well, how do we do it always before? I remember my football coach always saying, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always be what you've always been. But we like to do things as we've always done them, and we like to be who we've always been. We're terrified to break out of it with something new because we might fail or be embarrassed. Bob Ross wouldn't allow you to be embarrassed because every day is a good day when you paint. Every day is an opportunity to see what wasn't, but what could be. This morning we heard read lovingly Psalm 139, portions of it, this great psalm of the church. It talks about how God made you, and God knows you. Do you know that you're made and known by God? 
It talks about how you and your innermost places and the parts of you that people cannot see and the recesses of the mind where no other man would dare to trod. There is God and God knows you well and God still likes you because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It tells us this in the psalm, if nothing else, and I think it tells us a whole lot more, that whoever God is, God is our creator. And He's created us to be creative in a world that we better call creation. Creativity is part and parcel of the human animal. It's part of our nature. We are called to be imaginative. Did you know that? We were called to be imaginative. We were called to use the freedom that we have to see what is not and say, can we make it so? Now, here's the truth of creativity, and I'm going to tell you. It is freedom, but it is not lacking in constraint. You cannot have total freedom and still be creative. To be truly creative, you have to operate within some lanes, some rules, some constraint, because in that, in imposing something on your choices, that's where creativity becomes genius. Now, I aim not to offend any of you, but I'm going to tell you about an adult television show, a cartoon that many of you will be offended by. It's called Family Guy. I'm not sure if any of you have ever seen Family Guy, when it first came out, it came out and lasted two seasons and got canceled. Someone showed me the DVDs. Do you remember DVDs? Cutting edge at one point, right? My mom still keeps hold of her VHS tapes. But nevertheless, DVDs. I sat down and watched these first two seasons, and I go, wow, this show is smart. You know, because there's censors. And there's standards and practices offices that, that tell them what they can and can't do, what they say and cannot say, and all that. That to do all that and to make their point come across, to give you the wink and the smile, they had to do stuff more creatively. After it ran its two seasons, the cult following got immense. People petitioned Fox to have their show back. They wanted this show. They thought it was this great show. And sure enough, knowing that it was going to be a cash cow and dollar, the dollar driving all things in media, Fox said, okay, we're going to bring this thing back. They bring it back, and this time we're going we're to take off the guardrails. We're going to let these cartoon makers do what they want, basically. I have never been interested in that show since. Because it's not creative. It's meant to shock. It's meant to awe, be shock and awe. It's meant to go over the top. Now, I don't want to offend you. But I don't think it's very intelligent any longer. It's blue. It's inappropriate. It still has a following. It's just not as creative. We are creatures in God's creation. And He's a creator who's making us creative by the very fundamental act of our being. And we get to exhibit imagination and freedom. 
though we have constraints. You and I know that we cannot go back in time, nor can we be at two places at once. Our creativity has restraints. We read more scriptures. We read from creation narratives this morning. Genesis 1, where you have this beautiful God making humanity, male and female, in God's own image, to have dominion over the world, to subdue the world. Then you have Genesis 2, this passion, passionate story about a gardener named God. God makes a garden called Eden, which means delight, and then creates Adam, in Hebrew, Adamah, human, and calls him Adam from the dust. That's why my brother-in-law named Adam, I just call him dirt, because that's what the word means. And it reminds us of the English root words, doesn't it? Hummus. No, I don't mean the fancy millennialist dip. I'm talking about the dirt. Hummus. And from the hummus comes a human. Same word. And that teaches us the way we're supposed to live in this world with humility. All the same word. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? Well, every day is a good day when you paint. So Adam is formed from this dust, life blown into his lungs. And God, who in Genesis 2 is a gardener surveying the garden of delights, makes Adam and Eve into the first gardeners of delight. And then he gives them a job. He says, go ahead and, and name the animals. You see, it is a creative God that's made you and me in God's own image. That's meant a lot of things to a lot of different thinkers throughout the history of the church. Certainly, it's got to do with rationality, maybe the human ability for humor and laughter. I think those things are true. I think they can be found in other animals. I think there's something about the human animal that's interesting here. The human animal is one of the few animals that I know of that can go against our own instinct. We can create worlds and create worlds that go against our instinct. That means to say, we have the ability to make worlds. Wow. That doesn't take creativity. I don't know what it is. Perhaps being made in the image of God means that we are in our nature generative, creative. We're meant to exercise that creativity within the world, and that's how we express God. That's how, nay, we participate in God is through our own creativity. Whether it's singing a song or playing a cello, whether it's writing a line or two of verse or the most beautiful prose, turning a really good phrase. Maybe it's dance. Maybe it's in how you shape a golf shot or how you lead a group of men and women into battle. Maybe it has to do with negotiations. Maybe it has a lot to do with art, but it also has a lot to do with science. And how is it the case that we decided that science wasn't artistic. Shame on us. For math itself is a creative aspect of learning. Friends, in all life, if we do it and do it well, we're bringing our creative agencies to it. And in so doing, we express something of God. There was once a little boy whose father wanted him to spend time with him, but the little boy liked conventional American sports. He liked to play baseball. He liked to play football. He liked basketball. He didn't like his dad's interests. 
His dad was into old-timey things. That's what he thought they were, old-timey. He liked to fly fish. He liked to be out in the woods. So they really didn't spend time together, but the father set up a little table in the corner of the living room where everyone watched TV, and this was his fly-tying table. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, but they often have a, a magnifying glass and a lamp and a thing like a clip that like dentists like bibs have, you know, and it's a little clip for you to put a hook into, and then you, you go down to some craft store and you, and you get feathers and you get some this stuff. What, what is that, knitting thing? Not yarn, but the thinner stuff, you know? You sew up a shirt, whatever. You get that thread. You guys are geniuses. You take the thread, and you take some feathers, and you take this and that, and then you, you do these patterns, and you come up with these beautiful flies that mimic flies out in nature. Caddisflies or mayflies, mint nymphs. Oh, I like the zebra nymph pattern. That's a beautiful one. Woolly buggers. That's fun to say. San Juan worms. What's that about? Well, anyway, we tie flies. Son would just watch his dad every now and again during commercial breaks at the TV, kind of curious to what his dad was doing. And then one day, his dad came downstairs, turned a corner, looked in the living room, and there at his table, his back turned to the rest of the living room, was his son. A little feather, some thread, trying to make a fly like his father. One of the ways we express our God-givenness, the image of God, the imago Dei in ourselves, is by being creative too. By taking creative juices and the imagination to whatever we're doing. Plating up food, cutting hair, giving advice. My friends, the proper creative life speaks to the freshness that God wants to bring into a dusty world. Because creativity says, look at the world as it is and then ask what it can be. There's a priest named Father Burrell and he writes with Elena Mallets this line, I love it. Creation is redemption. What's that mean? What is creation? Creation is when God makes what is not God to exist. It's a funny way of putting it, but it helps us get our hands and our minds around the notion of what creation is. Creation is whenever God gives what is not God room to be. Pure divine donation. What's redemption? Redemption is when God takes what is not God and glorifies it to be, gives it glory. Creation and redemption are twin theological ideas. They go together, linked together. So, my friends, when you're creative, let me dare suggest that you are participating in God's ultimate hope for the world because you want to see the world for what it is, but then ask, what else could it be? What, how much more beautiful and true could it be? Perhaps Tolstoy's right. Only beauty will redeem the world. So, when you are creative, whether it's in the fine arts or whether it's in your business life, 
Wherever you exercise creativity, wherever you see things that aren't quite right and you bring your creative energies to, to say like Jesus, behold, I make all things new. You participate in the drama of God. How many football fans, and by football I mean soccer, how many soccer fans do I have out here today? Raise your hand loud and proud because you're going to need to in this southern crowd. Okay. If you've ever watched a soccer match and you see a well-built play, the passes, the way the ball moves, the way positioned players move from one to the other, filling empty space and anticipating movement as a pass happens, the way they can imagine the ball going to the goal and past the goalie, maybe even adding that one last pass before they do. When you see it, it's a thing of beauty. And in soccer or football stadiums around the world, whether it's the World Cup, the MLS, or just downtown here in Atlanta, when things like that happen, you hear a chant from the crowd, and it's often accompanied by a dance, and it goes, ole, 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 ole. Does anybody want to do that with me now? But you've heard ole, I hope. Where does it come from? Well seems to have come from Spain. But where did the Spaniards get it from? Linguists think because the south, southern half of Spain was occupied by the Moors, people who spoke Arabic languages, that it actually has its roots in an Arabic word. You see, back in the day before soccer, you would say ole, 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 whenever you saw anybody do anything incredible. When somebody who had a God-given talent met with a lot of hard work and practice, and then it's performed together at the same time, and this moment in front of a group happens called transcendence. When a song is sung, that leaves you out of your own body as you listen to it. When the improvisation of the organ is actually delightful that you giggle. When somebody dances, and the only thing you can say is, oh my gosh, how do they do that with their body? When somebody sees a shot that no one else can see on the golf course and pulls it off. When somebody speaks for someone else and gives them truth and grace, and other people can look around and see something where they're just utterly in a moment of transcendence, they can say, ole, 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 ole. But, but again, where does that come from? Linguists think it comes from these Moorish people. And it wasn't Olay, but it was Allah. Allah, 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 which is Arabic for God. Meaning that when you see somebody being creative to their full potential, acting out with those creative energies, maybe God is happening in that moment. Maybe God is present. Maybe it makes God plain to your eyes. Every day is a good day when you paint. Every day is a good day to be creative. Because when you are, you are sharing God with the world.